This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, how's things and whatever you're eating, mate, are you enjoying it? You know what, mate, right? I was thinking, <laughs> we're on video here and I keep playing with, uh, with, with sweets in my tea. It's uh, licorice. Do you like licorice? I'm going to say your guess now and say you don't like licorice. I don't, know, but I don't mind a little sugar boost ahead of analysing Anfield, to be honest, give you a bit of a kick. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going for, mate. Uh, never used to like it, but I do now. So just having a few uh, gummies of it now before we get started. So uh, on top four. Yeah, well, we've got a bit to get through. We have to talk about Brighton, even though it was a while away. So because it was a while away, we're recording again this week on a Thursday. We're just going to touch over some some narratives ahead around that game, really, rather than going through the match bit by bit. Uh, we're going to do roughly similar for Atletico Madrid. Fairly straightforward win, Liverpool now qualified and things. And we're going to spend a bit of time looking at West Ham. Uh, upcoming match this weekend should be a tough one. But just rolling it back then to, to Brighton, Dave. Um, just in terms of, I suppose, the specifics of the game, um, Liverpool's defence, I think, come out of it as a, a bit of an issue, really, I suppose, because Liverpool went into the game, started fairly well uh, and, and gained a 2 nil lead. And you'd expect any Liverpool side, specifically at Anfield when it's a full stadium, with Virgil van Dijk and the likes in defence, You'd expect that team to keep hold of the three points, see it out relatively easily. But it weren't the case. Uh, Liverpool obviously went went on to concede two and dropped um, two valuable points, Dave. Yeah, I think you've summarised it quite well, to be honest. Um, you know, at 2-0, you, you assume the game's done, especially with, relatively speaking, two early goals. Um, and look, let's be honest, it should have been really... You know, we'll, we'll talk about Brighton, so we'll give them due credit shortly. Um, but Liverpool should have won that game, you know, to put it bluntly. Um, even without the 2 0 lead, Brighton a very good side, but they're probably, you know, maybe the seventh best team in the league, something like that, sixth, seventh, uh, at a push. And, you know, Liverpool should be beating those sides at home. Um, didn't. And then obviously, it, it, it's kind of enhanced the issue by. By you know throwing away two goal lead draw drawing two two and you know nearly um, conceding the third obviously it was choked off in the end wasn't it but yeah it was very unusual and, and certainly not something we've come to expect from this side especially this version of Liverpool you know maybe last season you you, you could have comprehended it a little bit better but you know there's a lot of similarities with this this season's Liverpool with the one that won the league uh, and you wouldn't have expected to see that team win the league uh, the, the league winner side you know kind of throw away two, two points like the one the one on Saturday did so yeah a, a little bit of a rare blemish I think on the campaign so far that one yeah I think um, looking at the match the way the match played out the numbers behind the match I do think Brighton deserved that actually if you look at the scoreline uh, 1.1 versus 1.1 which is a very symmetrical elements there that we don't usually see to be honest um so we, uh, you're not getting the more perfect draw there to be honest Liverpool's... you know what just sorry mate before you continue on that point i expected to look at uh the timing chart and see 
Liverpool kind of dominate, uh, then maybe sit back, and then that's where Brighton accumulate their you know shots xG etc. But I'd look at understats, and it wasn't really the case. It was quite an even game throughout, uh, which I just thought was an interesting thing to point out. No, no, I agree. Yeah, I, I do think maybe I painted a few minutes ago that it was a uh, tailor two halves, but I think performance wise, it probably wasn't. Brighton did offer the threat early on. I think they had the best chance in earliest in the game actually. Um, Liverpool took fourteen shots. Brighton took ten. And I must admit, I was I was impressed with their general approach to the game. But we before we move on to that, I just do want to touch on Liverpool's defensive numbers for the season. We're now ten games in, so obviously we've touched on the numbers so far a little bit this season on the podcast. But they they are a little bit up in the air up until roughly ten games in when you start to see a little bit of consistency. Now you can look at the numbers now with a a degree of accuracy at least. Um, and if you look at Liverpool's numbers for the season. So far, we've conceded eight. Chelsea conceded three, and City conceded six. But crucially, the underlying numbers do look quite interesting. Um, so, in terms of expected goals against, um, City by far the best. Uh, only only being expected to concede six point seven goals so far. Then you have. Wolves alongside Chelsea. Then you have West Ham. Then you have Palace. Then you have Liverpool. So that's not great. Um, Liverpool uh, and Liverpool have benefited in certain moments as well from playing with, against ten men. So considering Liverpool are uh, floating around, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth in the table for expected goals against, doesn't look that great, really, does it, Dave? No, no, I'm quite surprised. I must be honest, I hadn't, I hadn't had a look at that. I knew you were going to cover it on the show, so I thought, well, I'm not going to look at it because you know, I'd rather just listen to you, same as everyone else is now, um, listen to them direct. And yeah, very interesting. I wouldn't have had Liverpool that far down at all. I could, I, I could, the way I kind of split the table up at the moment, um, and you know, this is from uh, like a performance metric perspective, is I kind of see the top three uh, Liverpool, City, Chelsea. In like a league of their own, and there's normally uh, changing orders between them and then the rest of the division. So to see Liverpool so so low down that particular department is is quite a surprise. Uh, I didn't expect it. I had I had noticed that maybe uh, Allison had been quite. Uh, I don't know if I'd say overperformed, but he'd been he'd been making big saves when relied upon when you know Liverpool had conceded big chances. So I guess that plays a part in it. Um, he is overperforming for what it's worth. He's third yeah, in the well, table so far for for overperformance. Well, that would match the eye test really because he has pulled off a, pulled off a lot of kind of big saving key moments so far this season, um, which is probably why Liverpool only conceded uh, eight times. What was the actual xGA number against? What what is the total? Sorry, eleven point two. Yeah, because that that is quite a big difference for this. It's only ten games in. You know, if yeah. that was maybe across half a campaign, it would be a little bit more reasonable. But that that is quite big, um, which is. I'll tell you what. What else is quite interesting, Josh? Just while we're talking about the defense, um, and this isn't going to lead to me uh, criticizing Allison in any way. But I've noticed that Liverpool conceded twice from outside the box this season, and it was on that was the amount of times that Allison conceded from outside of the box. 
across each of the last two seasons combined. Um, and with, you know, over three quarters this season to go, you, you bet that there's it, probably going to be a, a couple more in there. And it's just, it, that's been a trade for a while that Liverpool don't really conceive him outside the box when Alisson's in goal. And, and now it's happened twice. And one of them, by the way, from the previous campaigns was a free kick that missed everybody in winning. Do you remember Leicester? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, it's like a low one. I think it goes about like knee height, misses everybody and goes into the far corner. So probably wouldn't even count that one. Yeah. No, it is insistent on another insistent elements of Liverpool's defensive numbers is despite the expected goals being how we've just described, in terms of shots faced, it's nowhere near as bad really. City's still by far and away the best, only only facing about 6.6 shots per match. But Liverpool are second best. So Liverpool only facing 10 points. Well, not only. I mean, you can still bridge. Liverpool have been better than this on the clock. But Liverpool facing 10.4 shots per match. Chelsea facing 10.5. Wolves facing 11.2. Brentford facing 11.4. So I think what that captures is if Liverpool are roughly seventh or whatever it was for expected goals against, but the second for shots faced. That obviously suggests that when the chances do come, when the shots do come, they're quite clear cut for the opponents. And that's kind of captured really by um, the ex- the expect- expected goal per shot that Liverpool face. It was the worst in the league. It's a little bit better now. Um, but Liverpool do generally just face easier, just allow easier chances on their goal than, than a team like Chelsea, for example. Um, and it's it's something that Liverpool. I mean, it, the attack is top, uh, absolute elite at the minute. So it it you've got the a bit of a weird balance there, haven't you? I think in the past few seasons, specifically since Liverpool invested in the defence, <coughs> getting Allison in by getting Van Dijk in, losing Coutinho, Liverpool have been as good in defence as as they have been in attack. But I think this season, you are seeing a little bit of a a tip towards the attacking side of the game compared to the defence. And I think some of it could be attributed to, um, I think Liverpool's midfield three is just more attacking than it has been in past seasons. Like if you think of what it was when we won the league, Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum. And if you think of what it's been at times this season, you know, Harvey Elliott, Oxley chamberlain um, Curtis Jones, these are just more attacking players, I think, more more free-flowing players in, in the games and things. And obviously, there's been plenty of rotation in midfield as well compared to Wijnaldum, who would play every week. So, I think although you can put some of this blame on the actual defence, I think you also have to put some of it on the midfield, really. Yeah, because defending is a, is a, is a team task, isn't it? Although people tend to just look at the defence alone. Um, you know, you kind of think, well, from, from that standpoint goalkeeper for example goalkeepers performed really well you know it, it, there's not an alarming issue there uh, he's over overperforming as we just said and it does point to a little bit of what's going on high up the pitch and an interesting thing when you talk about that league winning midfield was obviously although there would be some rotation um it tended to there wouldn't really be a rotation in terms of profiles it tended to be the same similar players going in and doing the same roles where it does feel like there's more there's a more 
dynamic, varied midfield that go in now. You know, I know Elliot was lost lost due to the injury, but you think of Elliot, you do think of Jones, you think of the players you've just named. They all kind of bring different things, and you wouldn't necessarily say that they're all um, copies of each other. Which I thought there was there was a little bit more of that a few years ago. Um, so yeah, it does change the dynamic, which has an impact on on the team around, and and maybe this is a consequence of what we're seeing. Um, a little bit more of a, t- a trade-off, you know, for uh, more penetration from attack, but obviously leaving yourself wide open at the back. You know, a, a team who, if you remember City in the, in the season that uh, Liverpool won the title two years ago, they had that ex- the, the exact same traits of what Liverpool have got now, haven't they? Um, I think they were conceding really high um, yeah. shots in terms of uh, XGA. You know, as an average, I think it was the highest in the league. And obviously, it looks like Liverpool have kind of uh, are doing something similar at the moment. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it progresses throughout the rest of the season. I am inclined to think that when Liverpool stop playing midweek games, which is fairly soon, because uh, the Champions League group stages will finish, obviously. And when the international breaks stop and uh, Liverpool can play, you know, consistently and basically get in a flow and hopefully you've got the same midfield for a few weeks and things like that. I do think Liverpool could get into a bit of a, a, a momentum flow where it, it just becomes quite routine, really, to just... Because Liverpool, so far this season, we seem to have had games where, it's, where the defensive look, has looked so assured, safe, composed... But there's been the odd random game where it took a total mess. Like Brentford comes to mind. I hated watching our defence in, in the Brentford game. I know it was a thriller and things like that, but I was I was very much sat there just hating what I was watching, really. Um, and I think the same can be said about Brighton a little bit, really. Um, and in the first half, I suppose, against Manchester City. So it's been it's just been at times for like half-hour periods, 45-minute period, Liverpool have looked a bit of a mess. But then for the rest of the season, we've looked like our old selves. So I am inclined to think when you get a bit of a flow going and you're playing every week and you've got the same players available and stuff, no international football, Liverpool, I think, will go on a bit of a run. Um, defensively good and things like that. Hopefully Van Dijk will get in, get into the groove and stuff. Um, do you still think Van Dijk's out of the groove, do you? Um, it, depends what you on it? <laughs> it depends what you mean by out of the groove, actually. Really. I think... Uh, Against Brighton, wasn't his best. Brentford wasn't his best. Atletico Madrid away was definitely not his best. But against Atletico Madrid last night, he was very, very good. And he's looked very, very good in certain moments. He was a defensive moment the, the other day. I think it was against Brighton, actually, where he just dealt with it by letting the ball, heading the ball to himself, I think. In fact, no, I don't think it was against Brighton, but I can't remember who it was against. But that kind of... He, he was invincible, Van Dijk, in his, in, uh, when he was in absolute peak Liverpool form. And although I think he's still comfortably well above league average, comfortably still, for me, the best defender in the world, I think he's he's just still not that invincible figure. You know what I mean? Um, so it's hard. I think I actually think Massive so far has probably had a better season than him. Hmm. But then if you were to ask me, for the next game, you can choose one of Van Dijk or Matos to play. I would still choose Van Dijk every day of the week. Mm. Um, 
Have you got any thoughts on that one? Or? No, no, I agree. I think it is just uh, contextualised, isn't it? Um, because uh, Matip's kind of above above form or performing as best is probably Van Dyke's kind of run-of-the-mill performance, if that makes sense. And that's not to do with Matip at the service. He's a very good defender, as we've said many times on the show. Uh, but I think maybe Van Dyke's... Uh, performances where they're not at the best are more noticeable because they were so kind of commanding and dominant um when he when he was at his best. I'm just curious to to see what you thought and and just to see if this is kind of him getting back up to speed or if maybe this is the the, the kind of play you'd have to um, we'll have to see. Have to see. As I said, I'm not trying to make out he's been bad by any stretch, just just maybe not where he was. Yeah. But again I think that's that that is quite normal and I think um to an extent, he he can be now a a bit of a victim of his own standards, really, because you got to consider what what I am judging Van Dyke on. You've just asked me to what to because is he in the group and things? I am judging him based on essentially perfection because he he was perfect, honestly, for for like an eighteen month period, totally flawless. Like I've never seen anything like it. Um, so it when one or two little moments creep into his game or or whatever. It's just them stupid question marks, isn't he? But I, I still think he's, he's absolutely fine. Not to worry about there. Um, but before we move on from Brighton, I just wanted to give a flag towards Graham Potter, Dave. Because um, I think a few weeks ago to the Q&A, someone mentioned Potter in reference to replacing Klopp. Now, I'll be honest, I can't see it purely because of the person that he is, Potter. Because I think specifically, you know, Liverpool as a city, we need a bit of a, in my opinion, we need a bit of a, a Klopp-type figure. You know, like a us-against-the-world type guy and, you know, loud, bold, really bold person type thing, lots of character. And Potter comes across to me as, I mean, I don't want to do him with this, almost too nice. I don't I don't know if he is. I've got no too clue. Polite. Too polite, maybe, yeah, a bit, you know, that sort of thing. But what I will say is, I think he's doing a great job. He's silently, without any of us even really noticing, transformed how Brighton play compared to when Chris Hutton was in charge. Brighton's numbers are great. He's currently working as part of a very similar structure set up behind the scenes to what Liverpool have got in terms of a, you know, a technical director and working with specific recruitment that's very unique and things like that and he, he fits quite perfectly in, in in Brighton's system never you never heard of any issues or anything like that and specifically in the game against Brighton the other day I was really impressed with them I thought they, they, they caused Liverpool major problems I was very impressed with the game plan they were very brave with the game plan didn't just lie down because it was Anfield they gave us a proper game so I think looking at Potter as a whole considering Klopp's not rumoured to go for another three years I do wonder where where Potter might be in three years, and I would not be su- that surprised if he's kind of in contention, if you like, for to to be like the you know the next in in line. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think what really stands out with Potter um, is the way he's kind of he implements a style that mirrors the the best sides you know obviously every side has a a, a different kind of uh, tactical quirk or or differences in how they approach things but just in the sense of being a really you know 
organized team who will tend to build from the back, quite controlling, um, you know, do a good job of, of building through through the line, through the phases. Um, seems to always get like numerical superiority because of the way they build, because of that control element. You know, it, what stands out is it or Brighton are good because of how they're coached rather than maybe being a side who benefit from having good players who, who, who you know, do things to make them win matches. What what Brighton's success is built on what he's doing, you know, the, the, the kind of things that he's implementing um, rather than, as I said, relying on individual brilliance because although they have good players, uh, there's no real superstars in the team at all. It's not as if there's one or two players carrying them through each week and getting points on the board. It's, um, it's, it's, it's completely different. It's, it's, it's down to what he's doing. And, I I look back and think, you know, if I pick a club who just lost a manager and should have moved for someone, um, we talked about from an Everton point of view, but for the reasons that you touched at the start, um, with the the kind of character he is with the football, he was going to implement it. Might it probably wouldn't be the right fit at the moment anyway. But I uh, I think it's Tottenham. I think Tottenham were were mad not to to make a move for Potter. I think. He could implement a style there really successfully. They've got so much better players than Brighton. He could make them a really, really good side, a competitive side again, and, and kind of one for who could, you know, be really competitive for a long time. Um, but obviously, they went for that short-term route and it didn't quite pay off for them. Uh, and now they're going with Conte, which, I mean, I don't know about you, Josh, kind of feels like he'll, 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 he could be successful, but it'll still just be another short-term solution. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see how Conte gets on, actually. But um, in terms of Potter, yeah, he, I mean, he's kind of added presence to his game this season as well. Like, if you look at pressures so far this season in the attacking third, Liverpool are top, then Southampton, you know, well, Arsenal, no surprises there, then Brighton, and then Manchester City, Pep Guardiola, and then Leeds United, Marcelo Bielsa. So, you know... Graham Potter, you wouldn't associate, I don't think, with Preston based on past years, but it seems to be developing as part of his game. And if you look at Optus PPDA, so for those who are familiar with PPDA, the lower the figure, it indicates a higher level of pressing. The higher the figure, the lower the level of pressing. And top for PPDA in the league is Leeds United, no surprise. Then Liverpool, then Chelsea, and then Brighton. Um, so just considering how he works, and specifically, I, I'm thinking, you know, along the lines of he signed a six-year contract fairly recently against uh, at Brighton. You know, think of where that will be in 2024. Think of specifically how well he's doing as part of Brighton's overall infrastructure. I think he's doing really, really well. Liverpool have that in place, and and will want a coach who can come in and just kind of keep it going. Basically, I think uh, he just looks like. A bit of an outside the box candidate who could be really, really respected in three years' time. Um, and you know, we're in hearing memes now about like City seems to have earmarked Rogers as the replacement for Pep, you know, give him a bit of a whisper. And I wouldn't be surprised if, say, for example, Liverpool deem Potter to be that, you know, in, in, in a year, in 18 months' time or something, give Potter a bit of a nudge and say, listen, Liverpool job. In uh, 2024, and I wouldn't be surprised if then he just kind of built himself up for that. But yeah, I don't want to give him too much credit because I still think it's a long shot. But 
he he in my opinion is a becoming a very attractive coach I think and I think as you said Spurs was was a good shot but they went down the route of Conte mm. um, so yeah we'll leave Brighton there we'll move on to Atletico Madrid Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel um, again not going to speak about the game too much um, but I wanted to flag certain things such as I mean we have highlights of them as to how well he's doing this season when he's came in. What cost us Simicas, Dave? Uh Timiscas. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very impressive. Um you can call him Costas if you want, mate, just to avoid the uh, No, I'm, I, listen, I've uh, I've sort of that, that tongue gymnastics. I'm all right now, I know what it is. Uh, <laughs> it was a one off that will sadly go to the grave with me, I think. I'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> Listen, it's a good job no one got onto your pronunciation of Arsenal. <laughs> well, when was that time. one? Oh, that's Arsenal. You just got that one right there, but I think me with the Everton. Nah, I was like that every time, mate. Like that every time. <laughs> <laughs> My mate Ralph. That's what yeah. it is. <laughs> Go with first names. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, Summercas. I mean, he's he's performing well, mate. He is, yeah. Um, I think what's interesting now is he's kind of. He's not playing as token gestures or he's not playing for the benefit of Robertson as you know the number one priority. It kind of feels like he's playing because because he warrants playing, you know, because he brings something to the team. Um and there's no major drop off when he does in terms of quality. Uh Liverpool still perform really well. He's an asset on that side of the pitch. Um and you know, numbers are backing up his performances and, and I'm watching him, you can see he's playing really well. So it's a testament to him because, as I said, you know, 12 months ago, he was kind of seen as uh, this, you know, a backup, playing play if, if Robertson needs a rest or maybe just to give him a run out. But he's, he's really transformed his, his position in the squad uh, this this year. You know, it started with a good pre-season. A um, little bit lucky, I guess, that Robertson was injured at the start of the campaign, but he took advantage of it. And now he's, he's firmly an, an important Member of the team. Yeah, I am writing a piece on him at the moment for the Echo, and because uh, I, I remember very, very early on when he was kind of the perfect player for this podcast, really. Because when we signed him, nobody had a clue what he was like. I was able to look at the the data of the Greek Super League and um, find out a bit about his game and things like that. And he did show up as very attack minded, especially in in comparison to the other fullbacks in that league. Um, Played well in Champions League matches, um, and he was linked, I think, as a, a Ben Chilwell replacement at Leicester. Um, also linked to Napoli as well. Um, but I think coming in at Liverpool, obviously had a difficult first season, one or two injuries, and he had COVID, I think, as well. And Liverpool had no centre back to play him alongside, so he just didn't get on the pitch. But this season, I think you can quite clearly see why Liverpool picked him up. I think he's he's very obviously a. Um, I think he's, I was going to say a carbon copy of Robbo then, but I think he's closer, I think he's a, a bit of a mix of Robbo and Trent, because I think on the ball, I think he's got the the playmaking elements of his game, and I think he's less of a Duracell bunny up and down the yeah. flanks like Robbo. You like, his, you like his distribution better, don't you? Yeah I, like, yeah, I like his use of the ball. I, I specifically like his crosses. I think his crosses are spot on. His technique on his crosses are very, very good. Better than Robertson, in my opinion. Said that a few weeks back. Um, and at the time, I also said, 
that I would still have Robert was first choice and that it's not close. Now, I still stand by that, but it's closer than it was then, if you know what I mean. Mm. He's convincing me more and more with, he, with every time he takes to the field. Whereas Robertson, I don't think he's playing badly, but I, do, I don't. I think it's been it has been a while. It feels like it's been a while since he really stood out on the pitch. It's been a while since he, you know, owned the performance and was really. God, Robert was great there. You know, it, it's been quite a while since I've seen one of them from. Yeah, I'd actually agree with that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say something I've, I've noticed, but now you're saying, I think, yeah, when was the last time he was, you know, really that good? Um, not that he's been bad. Because then you'd notice that as well. Just, yeah, he's just it feels the, like he's uh, always a seven out of ten, doesn't it? Yeah, seven out of ten. That's it. Yeah. Whereas you know, two years ago, <clears throat> um, he was kind of up there with Trent in terms of what they were doing on those in those positions. You know, although different um, skill sets being brought to the table, um, they were both kind of delivering similar uh, results for Liverpool in terms of really good balls into the box, loads of threat, loads of danger, then. Just ease off a little bit. I'd actually be interested to see what, what Liverpool's um, attacking flanks look like this year to see how heavily weighted they've been attacking down one side compared to the other. Um, I might try and do that now while, while we're talking. Yeah, I'm just looking at Robbo's numbers here in terms of his creation and stuff. I think he's only registered uh, two assists. He's registered all season. Sorry, no one. That's a, that's a... Um, one for Scotland there, so excluding his, his time for Scotland, obviously, he's registered one assist so far this season. Um, his his creation in terms of key passes and things like that, that key passes, obviously, yeah, a pass that leads directly to a shot. It's still good. I mean, he's he, five key passes, three key passes, three key passes, one, three, zero, two, three, and then obviously... Um, yeah, and then one against um, Brighton zero against Manchester United. So he's generally still creating opportunities and stuff. But it's um, it just as I said, it just feels a little bit like he's shining a little bit less. But maybe that's just me. Maybe it's just going to take a few assists for us to take notes, which is, I suppose, a little bit of unconscious bias there. But mm. I don't think it's anything to worry about. But I think more, I want to shine a light on Simicast to be, to be a, a really smart pickup. You know, we got him for just over eleven million, and um. It's the kind of outside the box signing that I think Liverpool maybe tried with Minamino hasn't worked as well, but I think Simicas is he looks Premier League level to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I'm glad to check that out actually because uh, in terms of right to left bias, Liverpool's is the most biased towards the right side this season across the whole Premier League. Um, Forty-two percent of the attacks coming down the right compared to thirty-one down the left. Which, as I said, is more than any other side. So that's quite interesting because, um, although we, we are talking about um, some of the cast doing quite well, um, he hasn't played as much Premier League football as he. Um, he's been getting these appearances elsewhere, like he did last night. Um, so yeah, just a just a little interesting point on what we were talking about that it do, that kind of ties in with maybe Liverpool being more heavily biased on the other side. Yeah, before we move on to West Ham. I think we should give a flag towards Ox. I think he it, it was very much an Ox-type performance where you do come away from it thinking of what could be. Because <laughs> he did show plenty of moments where very dynamic, very difficult to dispossess, good carry of the ball, 
good on a dribble. But then they would also be certain moments where he'd he'd take on three players and then pass the ball it to nobody, and mm. we we would concede the counter on the back of it. It's almost like he's moving at such a fast pace that his brain almost can't keep up with the decision, and he just he does something and then realizes afterwards, oh, I've got the ball away. Um, mm. But he, I think, considering he's now, I think he's twenty eight. I do think it sums up his Liverpool career a little bit in terms of being a player who's who's got loads of potential, but he just I don't think he's um, gonna reach that ceiling. No, I don't. I think he'll probably always be reflected on as a bit of an early man. Um, and his career's got the caveat of the bad luck with the injuries, of course it has. But um, yeah, he just he, he does have that inconsistency to his game. Uh, he'll produce maybe one great performance in six, and then you start thinking, oh, you know, he can be an asset finally, and then something happens, like he breaks down. You know, similar to what what has happened last night. Um, and you're kind of back to square one. It's yeah, it feels like Liverpool got a couple of players like that now. Um, dare to say, don't want to bring it up, but you know, you think it what catered again, obviously fantastic, and then he 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 gets injured and then he's kind of set back again. Just a couple of those players that you just cannot rely on. Uh, and I'd, I'd, I'd sorry to say, I probably put say Chamberlain in that in that bracket, yeah, yeah, it's um. I think Liverpool signed a few of these players a, a few years ago now. And when you get to uh, spend a few years at the club, obviously Minamino's been here a little bit less, but Arigi's been here for quite a while now. Ox has been here for a while. When they get to a point now where they're, they're still, they haven't really established themselves as starters, you do think, okay, now we need a bit of a refresh here. Um, I actually think in terms of Keita, although he's now unavailable, I think he's probably experiencing his best Liverpool period this season in terms of contributions on the pitch and getting things like that. But, but again, do you not just, just think this is yeah, do you not just think it's just so typical that like then he just gets yeah. injured again? Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, mm. hamstring injury, I think it was. And that's what it is, by the way, it's a shame. It's not like you you know, you hate him and annoyed yeah. at him for enough and it's just frustrating from a Liverpool perspective, isn't it? Yeah, the injuries are frustrating at the minute, especially because uh, obviously we'll have eight eight cents on midfielders, but I think there's only past few weeks it feels like there's only been three or four available at any one time and as soon as someone comes back someone else goes out so uh, it's one to keep an eye on maybe it's a positive of that Liverpool have got an international break coming up get some players back Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel The weekend game we have West Ham United uh, we were having a good season Dave under um, football genius David Moyes mm-hmm. Hey, it, it doesn't feel as uh, sarcastic anymore, does it? Um, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no. He's look. He's he's done a really good job there. You, you're talking about a, a side who are very organised. Uh, they've got a really nice balance across the team. Uh, I mean, if you go there, they kind of start standard starting eleven. Um, you've just got. I mean, look at the exact attacking positions. You've got Antonio really hard working, but turned himself into quite a reliable goal scorer. Bowen, another hard worker. Benarama, Flair, Fornell's a bit of everything. Declan Wright. I mean, there's a I theme think, there. Go on, sorry. I was going to say, I think what you're saying there as well, those players you're listening, they, they play every single week. Mm, yeah, yeah, they do. That's they have. I mean, this is. The, I keep expecting that to maybe become an issue with the Europa League, participating in that. 
But, you know, we're kind of in the middle of it now and they've, they've sustained it, haven't they, really? Uh, maybe it'll come back to bite them at the end of the campaign. But um, they do, they just manage to play week in, week out. Um, and they're just, re- they're just really good, good at set pieces, you know, can be dangerous on the counter if you if you try and commit men against them. Um, tend to do well in terms of creating chances. They're just, a, they're quite a likeable team, I think, Josh. I don't know if you'd agree. Yeah, they would. Uh, you, you mentioned the Europa League there. They've, they've won three out of three in the Europa League group. Um, scored seven, conceded none. So uh, considering they're not usually a team that competes in Europe, they are, they are impressing in, in, in every area lately, to be honest, West Ham. Uh, and as you say, they've got a very good balance across the side. I really did like the the acquisition of Kurt Zumer in the summer. I thought that was a great buy for them, considering how they play that kind of mid-block, you know, lots of set-piece work. I thought Zuma was perfect for them. Uh, always available, good age, really, really strong. thought that was a great buy. And I think yeah. the way Moyes dedicated his money towards Zuma, I think West Ham's of previous years go and buy Lingard for that money. I think that's the, that, that's the difference. And I think Moyes has offered, although they don't really have a, I don't think they have a sporting director. They've only just recently recruited the head of recruitment. Moyes, I've always said, it, I think he offers... Real, I just think he's very, very sensible in the market. I think he knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to transfers. Mm. Yeah, I think that it's it's actually really impressive how he's he's come back from where he was. Because if you it's if you think when he went back in there, or he was getting linked with Everton two years ago, uh, no, no Everton fan wanted them. You know, we'd be into Sociedad, a uh, bit, bit of a failure, Sunderland. I kind of forget that one now, but he was at Sunderland, bit of a failure. Um, West Ham wasn't particularly looked on first time round with any, you know, great appreciation. But it just shows if he's he's the type of manager if he's just given time to to sustain. Well, I say sustain to build and implement a style that he wants to bring in the players. He wants he's a really effective coach, and I think West Ham's just a very good fit for him. Um, and we're seeing reap the rewards of it now. And it wouldn't be a surprise to me if they were again this season, maybe another top six side. Um, I mean, I actually th- thought it was quite interesting, Josh, that according to, you know, 538, they've got them expecting to finish fifth this season, which, you know, if they could sustain the Europa League campaign and go on and finish fifth, then that's a, that's a pretty remarkable uh, season for them. Well, I think that'll probably stem from the numbers, which I'm just looking at now. And they are really, really good, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But 10 games in, expected goals in attack. Liverpool top, City second, Chelsea third, West Ham fourth. And then in terms of shots, Liverpool top, City second, West Ham third. Mm-hmm. So third for shots, fourth for XG so far after 10 games. Um, as you say, players available every single week. Really good spine, I think. Players who can cover ground and things. One thing I have been a little bit surprised about, considering it is a Moyes team, is I think they've conceded a bit more than he'd like. Um, but just generally, as a side, as a team unit, they're, they're not a team I'm looking forward to playing, even though Liverpool were really good when we last faced them. Uh, and played them off the park, I think it was a 3-0 win. This isn't a game that, that I'm looking forward to, really. No, I, I, I mean the what the sort of fourth now, aren't they? I definitely wouldn't be looking forward to the 
um, because I mean I've just brought up the results and they've only lost two games all season um, and one of them was against Manchester United they conceded in the 89th minute uh, and the other one was Brentford they conceded in the 90th minute so you know they, they, they could have quite easily in terms of um, results ended up being draws rather than defeats um, so they're just a very difficult side to overcome very difficult um so even if the pool are at the best you, you still imagine it's going to be a tight game yeah it, it does remind me a lot of moises everton fully enough dave mm-hmm. i think there's lots of similarities there even to the extent that aaron cresswell is a <laughs> left footed left back who is from liverpool and takes their pieces you know considering the similarities there with leighton baines and then you've got Suchek and Fellaini comparisons, I suppose. And there's so many, I think, across the board. Yeah. Um, and I think he's doing, he's, he's, you could argue he was doing an equally good job to, to, to when he was peak at Evan. Yeah, well, I suppose it goes back to Moyes and West Ham being a kind of good fit, similar to how Moyes and Everton were. Um, you know, they've kind of got enough of a pull as a club um, to bring in good players. You know they had they had some money as well, uh, not a lot. And West Ham have actually got a lot more than what Everton had when he was there. But you know the game's changed a little bit in that time. But um, really similar, and you can kind of bring in similar players. And it wouldn't surprise me, although we say it's quite a funny coincidence how West Ham have got these profiles that mirror that kind of uh, late noughties Everton side that was so good. It wouldn't surprise me if he's kind of sat down with the staff and, and used that Everton side as a blueprint in terms of trying to bring in profiles like that into the side and play in that specific effective way. Um, it really wouldn't shock me if that's what they've done because uh, it certainly looks like you're from the outside. Yeah, very, very similar profiles across the board. And one of the areas in which they, are, they do seem to be thriving is, is uh, pieces. And I think similar, that was the case when he was at Goodison, I think, at times. Uh, so we touched a few weeks back on Liverpool's uh, pieces Liverpool have took 58 shots so far this season from set pieces. That's top of the league. Second is West Ham on 43. Um, four goals have scored from set pieces. Liverpool have scored five. Now, when you say goals from set pieces, you immediately think headers. They're not always headers. Sometimes Liverpool's in particular are like second balls and stuff. But I think in the case of West Ham, I'd guess they probably would be headers, I think. Um but it's a threat that Liverpool Liverpool have to cater for, Dave. I think it's good that Fabinho's back on the side, a little bit of height. Um, Liverpool obviously have Canate, Van Dijk. So I think we have the tools to deal with it. But um, it's a threat that Liverpool have to cater for, definitely. Yeah, I'm trying to see now if it, uh, specifically how many they've scored from headers so far. Uh, two seconds. Hmm. I don't think Suchak's got very many this season, to be honest. Um, no, yeah. I mean, yeah, they've, they've, had the, um, they've had the second most headed shots in the division so far, 24, which is quite high. Only Burnley yeah. headed them, which is no surprise. Um, and then Everton and United. So, yeah, um, yeah, Suchak, I think Suchak, though, is he not? Yeah, I think he's been playing a little bit deeper, hasn't he? Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, you do have a front four there of. of creative players who, who want to do the thing so if you're, if you're encouraging Suchek to also get in the box there's an element of overkill there I think 
Yeah, that's it. They've got they've got really good attackers now, haven't they? Um, attacking players. So Suchek doesn't really need to be that utility attacker. He can be a little bit more of that organic midfielder, um, which is why he's not going on the FBL team, Josh. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think when it comes to um, West Ham, whenever we seem to play them away from home, we seem to score these these daft counter attacks, specifically from their corners. I think Salah did it last season when Trent switched to play, Shaqiri switched to play again, and Salah took it down first touch and, and just slotted in the corner. Really good goal. I think a few years back, Oxlade-Chamberlain maybe might have got one, or, or maybe it was Salah again himself. Um, so it, it's just a, a bit of a weird recurring theme whenever we seem to face West Ham away from home. But in terms of a result then, Dave, predictions, what are you going with here? Um, tough one. Tough one. I think I've only uh, written not. I don't think I've written Liverpool off at all this season. But in terms of maybe not that winning results once or twice, and they've they've they've, they've beat me when I have. Um, but again, you know, without the benefit of hindsight, you have to look at this game and think it's a hard one. You know, it, it is a hard one. Um, I guess it, will it go in Liverpool's favour that they have a days longer to prepare? Because I'm pretty sure West Ham be playing tonight, won't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah They're away as well, actually, in Belgium. Yeah, so that not ideal, is it really? Uh, even if they have navigated it all well so far, I'm going to go, Josh, with a one-one. Okay, I'm going to go with two-one Liverpool. I think. Um, I don't think it'll be an easy game. These are a good side, but what I will say is. In the past few years, whenever Liverpool have to face a team from outside the traditional top four slash six who are looking really, really good, Liverpool tends to really dominate them. It's it, it, it's like whenever Klopp's kind of like flagging to the players, this, this team is very, very good and Liverpool get up for it against a team that individually are nowhere near Liverpool's level. Liverpool tends to really play very, very well. I'm thinking Leicester over the years. Whenever Liverpool play Leicester over the years, it absolutely suffocate them. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure whether that'll happen against West Ham, but I don't. I think Klopp will go into this game with giving them a lot of respect. So I think Liverpool will expect a tough game, like they did last season and when he went there and won three 0 So mm, mm. I think it'll be tough, but I do think there's the potential here that Liverpool really, really turn up because they expect a tough game. And as a result of that, they end up dominating. But yeah, I'm going to go with a tight one. I'm going to say 2-1 to Liverpool. Um, so yeah, we'll leave it there then, mate. Um, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, mate. Cheers, everyone. What? Who's, who's, who's after West Ham? Um, is it the international break? Oh, it's, uh, already, is it? Ah, I think it is, you know, yeah. Come round quick, that. Yeah, it is. So after West Ham, we have Arsenal on November 20th. That'll be mm. a good one to preview, actually. Um, yeah. Some interesting games coming up, actually. Arsenal, yeah. Ralph, Ralph coming up, and then uh, and, and uh, Everton away. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to come up with something, won't we, for for the international break? Maybe another Q and A. But we did one of them fairly recently, so maybe you can look ahead to Liverpool's transfers or something like that. But yeah, thanks for joining us, mates, and yeah, listeners, thanks for tuning in, and um, we will be back next week. See you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.